everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by TechNode, seeking truth from facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. My name is Elliot Zagman, and joining me is my co-host, back from Vancouver, and welcomed by the embracing arms of the Beijing smog. It is James Hall. How's it going? <laughs> Uh, actually, it wasn't that bad when I got back. It was kind of nice, like arriving into Beijing. You could see all the mountains, and I think the first time—I mean, I usually don't sit in a window seat, but I could see out and see how beautiful the scenery is. It's very—it was very nice. You know, I, down down here in Bangkok, it's it's one of those days, like a hundred AQI. And uh, the AQI has been like slowly creeping up, and people are just freaking out. But after being in Beijing for like seven seven years, um, you know, maybe it's just maybe I'm just going to die when I'm when I'm young from lung cancer. But I'm like, what, what's everyone freaking out about? You know, it's not that bad. But I also don't have kids either. Um, but anyways, uh, James, say the disclaimer. All right. So nothing said on this podcast should be construed as investment advice or a solicitation of services. Even our numbers may be incorrect or off. Investing is risky. Speak with your financial advisor and do your own research before making investment decisions. Also support us by signing up for Tech News newsletters at technode.com forward slash newsletters. Yeah. So Vancouver, Vancouver has no pollution. That was kind of nice. But what they do have is they've had a very hot real estate market uh, for the last few years, and this was a hot topic. You know, you know what happened with Vancouver real estate? Um, I mean, I'm not. I've never been to Vancouver. It seems like a lovely place. Um, I hear about. I know that it's like it's been a. Um, it has a big Chinese American community, and it's been there have been a lot of Chinese people that have bought money there or bought houses there. Um, I don't know everything else behind it. Yeah, so I heard some some stories, kind of anecdotal evidence. So take with it what you may. But um, like for example, you know, I was driving down a road with a friend, and he's like pointing out a house, and he's like, "Okay, that house, you know, several years ago would be about two, three hundred, two to three hundred thousand Canadian dollars. Now you can uh, sell it for like over two million. So there's it's like huge run up." And so, yeah, the the main reason for this that everyone talks about is that it's all the Chinese buyers that have come over, and uh, the, like one of the things I got out of this, it seems like the Chinese buyers treat real estate like a bank savings account, where they kind of just buy it, and then uh, I mean, the problem is, you know, the initial purchase of the home is an injection of capital into the economy, whoever sold it to them, uh, but the problem is. That a lot of these homes sit empty, and that in that case, you know, the local economy doesn't get the benefit of like the follow-on benefit of a another household consumer or you know human capital knowledge, you know, entering the economy, uh, business investment, and things like that. And so, actually, Vancouver started something called a and like and this is not a popular thing for the the Chinese owners, right? It's it's like the Empty homes tax. It's basically one percent mm. uh, of your uh, property assessed value, and it's just you have to file every year. You have to say whether your home was empty or not. If you live in it, it's your primary residence. That means you know it's not an empty home. Or if you rent it out for at least six months during the year, uh, then it's then it's okay. So this is. I think this is causing a lot of lot more flights from China to <laughs> Vancouver to you know add in those days of the year. <laughs> yeah, I um I, I was at a, a party, um cocktail party about a year ago, and um I was here in Bangkok and there were some folks there that were from Vancouver. They were um you know probably like in their forties or fifties. Um, it was a couple, and you know I asked them about you know living in Vancouver. Um, and I mentioned that I, you know, work with Chinese companies and focus on China. And they, they were like, Oh, all those, those, you know, wealthy Chinese people coming and, you know, they, they bought up all the houses in the neighborhood that I live in. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, made it impossible for young people to, to buy a house and, you know, kind of complaining about it. And I think it, de- it definitely does spur a, um, like in some ways, like a xenophobic sentiment, I think. Um, which, when you can't really blame 
the individual Chinese people for doing this. You know, you you have money. You're you're trying to find your best investment opportunity. Um, you know, there's a Chinese a strong Chinese community in Vancouver. You know, it's it's hard to you can't blame these folks individually. Um, but there's there's clearly something you know systemically that's causing a problem here. And um, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know really what the solution is, but we're seeing this in a lot of, um, you know, a lot of these housing markets around the world where it's not just China, but, um, you know, kind of wealthy folks from, from all over the world, you know, they want, they want to know what to do with their money and they, they'll, they'll stash it into these big, you know, these big kind of, uh, global hubs, right? Whether it's the Bay Area, whether it's New York City, whether it's London. Um, and what that does is it just makes, you know, living there not very affordable. Um, but yeah, what the what the solution is? I, I it's, it's really hard to tell. I think I think this empty homes tax is a pretty pretty interesting idea. They're taking the revenue they get from that, and it's actually going into affordable housing, like an affordable housing mm. fund. Uh, so that seems like a pretty reasonable idea. I mean, anything that can increase the you know the holding cost of the asset. I mean, that'll reduce people's desire to buy it, right? Uh, so the property taxes are one, but property taxes affect people who also live there. You know, so this empty homes one, I think is, it's a pretty, pretty clever idea. I guess the problem would be, how do you make check if, you know, someone's saying, Oh, this is my primary residence, but they don't actually live there. Like they're just coming in and in and out of the country, certain number of days a year or whatever, staying there. You know, so there's probably. But as long as, I mean, it's self-reported, so if you lie to the government, I'm sure they could, you know, you get in trouble for that, so. Yeah, and then you gotta wonder about how much they're gonna audit that and, you know, all sorts of things. But I mean, it, it, it seemed probably like a step in the right direction, especially if they can, you know, use it to, to boost affordable housing. But yeah, I don't know, um, do you know Joanna Chu? Um, the name sounds kind of familiar. She was, she was in Beijing for a long time. She was a reporter, editor for foreign policy. Okay. Um, she's Chinese Canadian. Uh, and she recently moved to Vancouver. She works for the Vancouver Star. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, she, so, you know, I, I started following her on Twitter, um, because of, uh, you know, she used to write about China a lot. And then now she writes about like the Chinese community in Vancouver. Um, it's really interesting. So uh, let's move on. Uh, we have all the the billionaires in Davos right now, for the uh, along with Wang Qishan. Have you been following anything from the Davos conference? I tend to roll my eyes at this stuff. I watched um, Mike Pompeo's address as he teleconferenced in and the Q and A se- um, section. And then there's been a you know a bunch of interviews like that have come out about. I mean, everyone's. You know, one one that kind of hit the investing fin fin twit uh, fin financial mm-hmm. Twitter community was um, Seth Clareman, You know, saying that capitalism, short term thinking, and all this stuff is kind of put it in a bad light, and we need to try to fix this. And he's getting he sounds pretty concerned with the way things are. But yeah, I think that's a general theme that's going on in Davos right now. Mm. Well, with Davos, this is the kind of the annoying thing. I think this is why I think it turns so many people off, um, including myself. Like I just end up rolling my eyes at all a lot of this Davos stuff. Is that it is? Oh yeah. You know, obviously it's a very important meeting, and the the people there are very knowledgeable you know, people that probably should be listened to in some respects. But just the the they often talk about you know these like hey, well these are the problems of the world. These are the problems with 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 capitalism. Um, but they're also, you know, these, these global winners, um, who are, you know, at the same time doing a lot of, of what they can to, uh, kind of continue to have the system, uh, the way that it is. But also, I mean, like, that's also kind of what we do too. I mean, <laughs> um, when it, we, we, you know, look, we were, you know, as, as whether retail investors or, you know, having, looking at, at companies from an investor perspective, we also kind of perpetuate some of that stuff too. So, um, you know, it obviously is, is, is more complicated, but I do, I do think that a lot of like just the, the, the cluelessness or the, the out of touchness that a lot of these, um, you know that is kind of displayed with the with the Davos crowd can be kind of um, 
a turn off, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of, one of the kind of just on that note, just real quick, one of the like jokes that's been going around is that all these billionaires fly their private jets, which are really not flying is not good for the environment. Right. And then they're like talking about climate change and how important it is. And they're flying their private jets to Davos, you know, like the most like 1500 private jets landed in Davos. Yeah. But anyway, um, Wang Qishan made a bunch of announcements or like a, gave a interview basically saying that China's growth remains substantial and shall continue to grow. Uh, and that I think he said there are a lot of uncertainties in 2019, but something that is certain is that China's growth will continue and will be sustainable. And he thinks that uh, 6.6% GDP growth is a substantial number. So I guess that maybe is the ceiling for, for or a, a rough range for the high okay range. But yeah, he kind of, uh, this is from a CNN article, but he took a jab at <laughs> Trump saying that, uh, you know, shifting the blame from one's own problems onto another's will not solve, actually resolve the problems. Um, and he also said that the two economies rely on each other. And so there should be, or there has to be mutual benefit and a win-win. Um, so, you know, that's kind of comes on the back of uh, some negative trade news. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the month uh, regarding trade. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do think the, 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 the numbers came out for Chinese economic growth um, for 2018, and you know, the Wang Qishan is talking about oh, it was still 6.6, and but I think that I mean anyone who follows Chinese economic data knows that you know the numbers that are reported are not reliable for a number of reasons. One is that is that collecting economic data in China has always been difficult. Um, if you look at the graph, you'll see that it was, it's up and down, it's up and down, it's up and down. And then once, um, basically, you know, Li Keqiang started being in charge of those numbers, um, the, it just compl- like basically plateaued, right? And they're just like, you know, like, oh, it's six point, it's seven point zero, oh, six point nine, you know, which is very, very different than these ups and, ups and downs that would happen before. Right. So, I mean, what, what, what it, what it is, is that they're just saying, okay, well, we got to round this, round this, uh, <laughs> balance this out, um, rather than trying to actually get the, 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 the complete accurate number. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's like a thing. It's called, um, I mean, in, in public company disclosure, you know, it's not really okay to do it, but it's called smoothing where you kind of, you have some surplus mm-hmm. here and you kind of carry that forward to some deficit later and you kind of smooth it out. I mean, GDP numbers are very difficult to calculate anywhere. I mean, they're also, it's kind of, you kind of, I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not accurate anywhere in the world. Um, so that's, that's number one. I think I, there is some research out there that suggests that China's GDP number is too low. Uh, and obviously there's a, there's a lot more research that says it's too high. Um, so who, who really knows? Well, and there's also, I mean, my, uh, Michael Pettis, the economist has talked a lot about yeah. this. Um, and the, the point that he makes that I think is important to understand as well is that in China, GDP is not an output. It's an input. So in, in a place like, uh, like the US or Europe and most countries, they, what do they do? They, they try to calculate and measure up all the, the different, um, you know, all the economic activity and then, you know, report the number. In China, they say, okay, we're going to hit 6.5%. What do we need to do to hit 6.5%? So, you know, they're very kind of Keynesian about it. So it's the, you know, the Keynes said that, you know, if you want to stimulate economic growth, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's better to pay somebody to dig a hole and fill it back in than do nothing. So you get a lot of these, you know, they'll, 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 the banks will lend to, to, you know, to state owned companies that are, you know, building roads to nowhere or, you know, producing aluminum and just piling it up. Um, and it's, um, because they have to hit those numbers. Now that's not productive growth and oftentimes is debt fueled growth. Um, and that's also what's caused this, um, you know, the debt problem in China. Um, so it doesn't necessarily. So looking at 
the growth number uh, in China uh, is not like looking at the growth number anywhere else, and that needs to be taken into consideration. That, I mean, that's key, the input versus output. Yeah, that's a good article by uh, Pettis. Uh, it's, I think it's called uh, What is GDP in China? Uh, if anyone wants to read it, they can search for that. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Pettis is great, man. Yeah, and he's also like I'm surprised he's um a, a lot of he's I think he does a very good job of you know I think he's very balanced and he's very like kind of objective and you know he's been in China working in China for a long time um and he's fairly well respected in the China crowd even though his um his criticisms are pretty um pronounced but well they've been they've been consistent which is which is good I mean he's he's been you know, he's very, if he's one thing, he's consistent. And I've read a few of his books. I mean, they're, he's, he's really good. Should we jump to the Anyways, watch list? Uh, government shutdown in the U.S. is, is, is in, impacting a lot more stuff, um, including IPOs. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, continued. <laughs> it keeps going on. Uh, let's hope it gets solved and hope it gets settled. The longest ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can leave it at that. Um, yeah. anyways, let's get to the watch list. Um, uh, what do you want to start with for the watch list, James? Um, maybe, I mean, the bigger one, let's, let's start with Baidu. All right. I think the news, the news was that they, a CCTV is partnering with Baidu to distribute red packets over the national holiday Chinese New Year. And that's, you know, do you remember like when WeChat got the most increase, I think, of their users for their payments uh, platform was with these uh, was with CCTV and actually um, you know everyone's like shaking. Remember that year? I don't know if you were in China, but like everyone was like shaking their phone constantly trying to get get more um, yeah. uh, Hongbao, uh these red envelopes and basically free money. And you know I, I'll go out here make this prediction on China Tech Inve- on the podcast here. That maybe Baidu is going to come out with a payment system, payment app. Yeah, well, you heard it here first, folks. Um, hot take from James. Uh, but I, I do. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I didn't think about this until you 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 said that. Uh, you know, you shared the idea with me earlier. Um, we do know that that Baidu has been trying to get into mini programs. Um, we do know that they're. Uh, you know, their lunch is getting eaten by, you know, companies like ByteDance and Tencent in a few different areas. Um, and they got to do something. And one, one area where I think Baidu has some strength is that, you know, they do have very good government relations. Um, and getting, you know, a situation, getting something like this set up where, you know, they can, they can leverage a partnership with CCTV, uh, to distribute red packets, right? Which, uh, by the by, the way, Tencent and Alibaba are not involved in this program, right? So, uh, I think that that's uh, what that indicates is that they're excluded. Yeah, yeah. So, so somebody yeah. somebody at Baidu has done a good job working with CCTV <laughs> and getting um, you know, getting themselves in on that. I mean, a third payment mobile payment company. I mean, there's already and that's not not the third. Sorry, the fourth. JD has. You know their their own that they're they've been trying to get going for a while. You know, I I mean I don't know like if Baidu did this, they're not they don't really have like a like I mean it'd have to be through their Baidu app, but like they don't really have an e-commerce thing they can link to it. They'd have to partner with someone and try to get adoption going. I mean it, they'd be pretty far behind uh, WeChat Pay and AliPay and Financial. Um, so. Yeah, but it would be some new kind of something new that they could be striving for and uh, kind of maybe reinvigorate the uh, investor appetite for their stock, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, another Baidu bit of news was uh, there was some, uh, was it a Weibo post or or something? This This article or post that said search engine Baidu is dead and it was looking at uh, the search results on Baidu's home, like first and second and third or whatever pages, if you search for just about anything, I mean, 
the majority, like the vast majority of results are actually to Baidu's own, own properties. Um, and I think this, this Weibull post, uh, was kind of calling that out. And, you know, I think it's something that's been going on for a while. Uh, but you just don't notice it maybe because there, you know, there's just so many links and you don't like kind of look at it. Um, but it is kind of a anti-competitive, uh, thing to do and kind of doesn't, you know, a search engine really should be a search engine, not a, a gateway to our, our products kind of thing, right? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a monopoly thing and they're, they've benefited from having this monopoly by not having Google in China, not really having a good alternative, but also like Baidu's not like they're one of those companies where like it's, it's the opposite of Groupon, right? So Groupon and Meituan kind of both came out and, you know, they were the, the Chinese, you know, they were Groupon in the US, China, or Meituan in China. Groupon kind of fizzled out and Meituan turned into what it is today, which is, you know, a very valuable company, big company. Um, and I think the opposite of that is like Google and Baidu that you had, you know, these companies that could have gone in the same direction. Google became what Google is and Baidu, like every time they have an opportunity, they seem to blow it. Yeah, this is like giraffe and the what's what's the other animal called? The okapi. Yeah, they're an okapi. The okapi, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that. Google's the uh, giraffe. Google's the giraffe. Um, anyways, uh, you, you want to move on? Um, well, kind, what do you kind do of related to that is is, is uh, that it seems like we're trying to figure out right now whether Bing, Microsoft search engine, is being blocked or uh, it's, it's definitely having problems connecting. To Bing in China right now, um, supposedly it might be blocked, and they might just be having issues. But yeah, it's all kind of interesting. I mean, you saw in our in in the WeChat group, right, that all these people are complaining about Bing and can't get on, and some people can, some people can't. I, well, I've never I've never seen anyone care so much about Bing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I I Bing yeah. it, you know, in China, I have to Bing it. Mm. It sounds so weird to say that, um, but yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Xiaomi? Yeah. Xiaomi's been interesting. Um, they announced buybacks? Yeah, so but Xiaomi... Then, tell me more. Explain. Okay, so they announced buybacks. Um, when was that? That was on the 18th. They they announced that they're going to start doing buybacks uh, of this month, the 18th. And then they did three three days. So there was the the seventeenth where they they started buying the eighteenth and the twenty second. But what's kind of interesting about this is, according to their filing, which I'm looking at right now, they didn't actually cancel these shares yet. And when you take mm. into account the exercise of options um, by employees, you know, for actually the for the whole month and these share repurchases, I mean. They have more outstanding shares than they did at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the month. Yeah, it's kind of when you do share buybacks, I mean, you want to lower your share count so that your earnings per share goes up and then your, you know, PE looks better. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess they'll cancel them eventually, but they haven't done it yet. So I, I don't quite get their whole. Because the buyback, the share buyback was they they what they agreed to buy back. Correct me if I'm wrong. Six million shares. Um, was no, they bought back. That was the first one that they announced on the 18th. That on the 17th they bought back six million shares, and then on the 18th they bought back 9.8 million, and then on the 22nd they bought back 3.9. So that's almost 20 million. Uh, but they also said the reason they're doing it. And this is from their 18th filing. The company considers that a share repurchase reflects the company's confidence in its current and long-term business outlook, driven by its internet business model and the execution of the smartphone plus AIoT strategy. Uh, the company will continue to provide amazing products with honest prices and is confident that such a value proposition will be even more compelling in current market conditions, which I think is in um, talking about the slowdown kind of current market conditions, which you know might be true, actually. Yeah, um, 
but they, it doesn't seem like a very substantive buyback. Uh, you know, you look compare it to to JD. The JD spent a, a billion US dollars on their buyback. You know, this is a what was it? You know, they're they're the the Xiaomi shares are are a little more than than one US dollar per share. It's like a buck twenty five, something like that. It's like ten Hong Kong dollars. Um, so it doesn't. This seems like quite a like just a a drop in the ocean here. Yeah. It's it's less than like a tenth of a percent, less than um like like less than half of a tenth of a percent. Yeah, so it, it seems I, I don't quite get it. But anyways, let's move on. Uh, but Xiaomi is also they're they're forming an Africa focused business unit, um, to to go into Africa. Um, it seems like I don't really know what Xiaomi's like. There there's a a lot of different messages coming out of Xiaomi. So they're saying, okay, we're going to refocus on China. Okay, we're going to focus on Africa. We really want to, you know, go hard into, you know, into, into building in, in India and, and in, into Western Europe. And I don't, I don't hear like a consistent story from them. Um, and then they're also releasing this foldable phone, which I don't, I don't really see what the unified um, story is from Xiaomi here. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they're just maybe it's like a press kind of push PR to try to get their name out and get in the press more. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is my take. Um, well, I, I I think that they're scrambling. I think that they're uh, they're panicking a little bit. I think that they um, that things have not worked out entirely the way that they wanted to, and um, and I think that they're they're losing their their shit a little bit. Uh, pardon the French, but I mean this is this is my my personal take. Um, so they're just trying everything and seeing what sticks. Um, but with the Africa focused business unit, um, I mean obviously Africa has a lot of growth potential, but Transient's been there. It's another Chinese company that's going very low end. Um, Samsung, Huawei, um, there are already a lot of smartphone makers in Africa. And also the, the market there is, is not going to be, I, well, Xiaomi's problem is not that not enough people have their phones. Xiaomi's problem is that they, that too many people have cheap Xiaomi phones. That and so they're not spending money on their internet services, and they're not buying the high margin, high end phones. Um, this seems to be, I, I, I don't see what they're, what they're, what they're thinking here is in Africa. Aside from just that, well, I guess we got to be there, um, you know, for the long term. So, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe they're trying to increase their TAM and then try to use that to increase their valuation. Right now, and what about uh, what else? What else we got? We got uh, Alibaba, Pinduoduo. Uh, Pinduoduo. Let's do Pinduoduo. Right. So hackers st- stole coupons worth tens of millions of RMB on Pinduoduo, uh, <laughs> according to Bloomberg. Yeah, and actually, this came from uh, like company's Weibo post where they said they had fixed the. I guess the loophole or something, and uh, that it's no longer an issue. But tens of millions of RMB. I wonder if this is like a one-off or if this has happened before. I mean, they're you know remember when we were looking at Pinduoduo? I mean, their marketing expense is above their sales, you know, and part of the marketing expense is coupons. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's interesting. Well, I think this is what we're seeing with Pinduoduo a lot right now is that you know there's there they have a growth market. They have a lot of those numbers are really good for them, but uh, there a lot of these kind of like these the operational infrastructure, you know, the security, the you know, making sure that the the products are legitimate, all that stuff is kind of shaky, right? Like it seems like there's. Uh, you know, there's a lot of potential there, but they don't really have their house in order. Um, but even even that being said, um, their stock's on a tear. It's almost at their, you know, they 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 got up around I think thirty 
right, right after they IPO'd. And they've been down, but they've been climbing steadily. And I believe they're at uh, $26 a share. Now they're close to their all-time high um, in a time where, you know, JD has not been doing that great. Alibaba's not been doing that great. Um, so, um, you know, I, I bought them last, like, like right after their IPO or a little ways after their IPO for like 25 bucks a share. Like I, I was like, oh man, it's like the wrong time to buy. I, I shouldn't have bought it because they, they fell right after that. But now like I'm actually, they're one of the few, you know, I, I bought, uh, like a bunch of different tech stocks, uh, over the summer when, which was like, you know, when everything was kind of like everything has lost money except for Pinduoduo. So <laughs> it's been, uh, it, it's been good. It's been good. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, um, you know, I, so their stock's doing all right. They're, they also had, they had the same thing as Xiaomi had where they, uh, their shares came unlocked. Um, but they've been rising even though their shares came unro- unlocked. Uh, Xiaomi plunged after their shares came unlocked. So, uh, apparently the people who hold them are not looking to sell. So, um, uh, Alibaba? Yeah, Alibaba's, uh, Doubles down on enterprise transformation with the A100 program. This kind of looks a little bit like a repackaging of their services. Not really anything new here, but kind of repackaging, repositioning for uh, going after you know more offline uh, retailers and trying to bring them online. It doesn't seem like it's gone outside of retail, but maybe it will. You know, yeah, I mean, this is that um, you know. That industrial internet that we've talked about, Tencent a lot, um, that Matt Brennan talked about. It's basically two, taking the internet and focusing more 2B on it. You know, Alibaba's already been doing this a lot, uh, with, uh, on Taobao, with their Taobao retailers. Um, this seems to be a, like you said, a, a repackaging or a rebranding of a lot of the stuff they've already been doing. But, you know, I think we, it would be nice to learn about this more in detail. We should get a guest on who, uh, is more of an expert in, uh, kind of what Alibaba's doing in the, in the, in the e-commerce space. Uh, anything else? Tencent? Tencent, yeah. So Tian Kuaibao, which I think translates to quick daily news, uh, was signaled out for spreading vulgar and lowbrow content. That was harmful and damaging to the internet ecosystem, and that was it's happened to just about everybody. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's the getting brows trouble. are too low. Um, Turn up those brows. In, in addition to this, I think also something like several thousand webs or apps were removed, like something like six thousand apps. Mm. Uh, and I saw nine thousand. Seven or maybe maybe nine thousand, and then something like seven million pieces of content were removed. They're really cleaning up the internet, uh, for better or for worse. Um, they're purging it. Um, but yeah, it seems like this is something that's happening to all the companies. But what, but what I do wonder is that, um, you know, that low brow stuff is quite profitable. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, we took, we've been talking about this with, with ByteDance. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's what I would look at when it comes to these crackdowns is like, you know how do how do these companies make money if they can't can't do it from the um, from that uh, you know garbage content? So, anything else before we move on to the guest? Uh, I think Tencent. There was also and NetEase. I guess were they were left out of the third batch of game approvals. Um, I guess the last oh, last yeah. one had ninety three games, and uh, I guess none of them were related to Tencent, but. I haven't looked at the actual list of 93, um, but I do wonder because Tencent does have a lot of, uh, investees, right? Like 600 or something. Mm. Um, so I just wonder if maybe they have some shares or some ownership in some one company that's, you know, it's probably hard to keep track of exactly what games are 10 cents and which ones aren't. Well, they're they're invested in almost every gaming company. If they're not invested in a gaming company in China, NetEase is. Um, right, but so it, the yeah, fact I, that both would be not. I mean, it's kind of. I wonder what that is. I wonder if it's like some kind of message or some kind of you know. This is this is what happens when you watch when you're trying to follow stuff in China. Is that you know, like speculate? You it's, it can really read the tea leaves. Yeah, exactly. But it's really easy to be like, um, you know. Like, uh, 
you know, a beautiful mind, like with the, you know, the, the newspaper cuttings on the walls and the strings between them and, you know, kind of conspiracy theory stuff. But, you know, that usually is not very productive. So anyways, I guess we'll see, we'll see what happens to them, um, you know, with the next round of approvals. But, um, yeah. Um, anyways, anything else? I think, yeah, one, I wanted to do a quick CTI correction. Uh, so I think last CDI corrections. <laughs> so last um, last episode, I talked about the billionaires who moved their assets to trusts. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you know, I think most of those assets were already outside of China, so they were offshore already, mm-hmm. and they were just kind of restructured into trusts. So I think that's something I you know I kind of want to clarify. Is there a reason why they would do that if they're Um, I mean, they did it right before the end of the year, and there's a new tax law that comes in in place. I think they're probably they probably got some advice from some tax consultants saying, "Okay, I think if I think it's going to be like this, and if you restructure your trust like this, then you know things will be okay." But there's also, I think, some consolidation. So, like uh, for example, you know, some of the stuff. Some of the ownerships in like a family member's name, like wife or kids or something, and they're all consolidated into uh, one trust. Some of that too, probably. But anyway, um, billionaire problems. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. All good. Speaking of uh, managing your money, our guest today, uh, we're going to go to our, our interview with Shlomo Fruind. I, I got, I'm going to massacre his name. I got to get, I got to get him to tell us what is, how to actually pronounce his name. Uh, but he is the, the, the host of the, the co-host of the China Business Cast. Um, he's been, uh, an entrepreneur in China for a long time, kind of follower of the Chinese business scene. But we're going to also talk to him about what he's doing right now, which is about, um, basically financial independence and how you can kind of manage your life and manage your investments, uh, so that you can become financially free, right? And pursue your passions, which is part of what, uh, what we're doing with this. Um, so let's go to our interview, uh, with Shlomo. We are joined today by Shlomo Freund. Uh, Shlomo has spent over 15 years building a global cross-border business uh, and as an entrepreneur. Um, He also is the host of the China Business Cast. He spent three years in China uh, and right now works as a mentor and a speaker, helping people eliminate money as a source of stress and gain confidence in their future finances. Shlomo, we're glad to have you on the show. So you, um, I mean, so so you have spent a lot of time, uh, kind of working with Chinese entrepreneurs, um, you know, talking to, to different business people in China with your podcast. Um, so what what brought you to China in the first place, and um, and and what kept you there for three years? So uh, back in the days, the story goes to 2007. My brother-in-law decided that his kids should learn Chinese, so I joined them for two months. Uh, Chinese course in Dalian, uh, northeast of China. Um, and that's where my China life started. Um, going forward four years, um, I found myself along with my wife in, in Beijing in December, uh, minus whatever, <laughs> in five in the morning. Um, decision to go there uh, was because we really wanted to see how it is to live life in China. So we just packed our bags, and went on with it. I didn't really know what we're going to do there. Uh, I mean, I, had, I, I found some job just to, you know, pay the bills and just getting there. Uh, back then, it paid, I don't know, 6,000, 7,000 quai a month. Um, and uh, we lived in, you don't know, you don't want to know where we lived <laughs> back in the days. Um, but basically, uh, just, just this is how we started. Um, and uh, after about, so along along that time, I got connected more and more to the entrepreneurs scene. So I joined two uh, two programs there. Um, I got to know other entrepreneurs. Eventually, I became uh, the organizer of the Lean Startup Meetup. Now it's called the uh, Beijing Entrepreneurs Community. Um, where we organized uh, monthly events, then weekly events. So there was a lot of happenings around that. And 
about a year, I, I worked with several startups, but about a year and a half, oh, a year to a year and a half uh, after coming to China, I built the, the uh, app in China, which is the business that still exists in China. Uh, I'm not involved with this anymore, but the, the company still exists. But So that's what kept me going for most of the time there, I'd say. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I remember getting uh, lean startup emails. I've, I've been in China since 2007, and I remember signing up for some lean startup uh, in China kind of newsletter, new, like news list or something. And I remember getting email. Was I getting emails from you back in the day? Back in the day. <laughs> Um, that was so. That was a meetup group. It was not the lean startup meetup, but the, um, a lot of other yeah. groups around the world use that name. And um, I actually inherited that group from someone else who, who chose that name, and then I I managed it. So it could be. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was. <laughs> okay. Nice to meet you, James. <laughs> nice to meet you too. <laughs> so, so Shlomo. You, you've you've talked to I mean you you've dealt with a lot of these uh, kind of these these startup entrepreneurs. You've been in, you were in China during some of the the hottest years of the startup boom. Uh, on your podcast, you've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, what what have been some of your takeaways? Um, are there some people that um, some entrepreneurs that really stood out to you? Um, some some attributes or some 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 startups that that you worked with or that you saw that was like um, you know that that stood out to you in particular. Um, what, what, tell us more about your experience. You know, there were so many, um, so many that I've spoken with. The, the thing is that the scene was really, really different from the way it was uh, before. Although I'm not from, from, from the way it's today. So, although I, although I'm not the first entrepreneur arriving to China, the first foreigner doing things in China, of course, um, it felt. When I'm looking at the scene now and back then, it, it, it's a totally different world. Um, going to an entrepreneur's uh, group or meeting uh, was something that ha- was happening once a week or once every two weeks. Now you have five events or ten events a day. Um, and uh, also speaking about entrepreneurship was not as common. So there were groups, but um, even with with uh, not with foreigners in China, but locals, I mean, there weren't yet the success stories to follow or, or, or things to look up to. So people or Chinese people, uh, young people still prefer to work uh, for being big companies, being conglomerates. It's not the way it is now that everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. It's totally different. Um, I, I was uh, mentoring partially in the China Accelerator back in the days. Um, I've met entrepreneurs through the group. It was really, really interesting, but it's nowhere of how it was. I went to all kinds of events, being invited to speak. Um, so it was really, really, really different, basically. So, so when you say back in the days, can, for our listeners, can you, can you say when that was? Yes, yeah, so I arrived to China end of 2011, um, and I stayed there till the end of 2014. So Okay. Yeah, I, I'd say around that time. Um, yeah, so it's right, right in the middle of that, like that when that when that entrepreneurial, yeah, right, right when it was taken off, when it was all taken off. Were those meetups at Treehouse by any chance? Yes, these are the ones. Okay. Yes, that's it. All right. Nearby um, the tree. Nearby the tree. I never made it over, but I was reading the emails. I remember they had like some summary of some like what's going on, some news and. Uh, and then there was right. Is that right? We had it. Um, we had it. We had it for some time. I did it for some time. Yeah. So when you were when you were there, when you were there, and you saw some of these companies taking off, um, was there one company in particular that particularly stood out to you, like a, a company that was ahead of the curve when it came to entrepreneurship or some startups, uh, you know, or some founders that were kind of ahead of the curve here and uh, you know doing some special things? So. The special things that I saw were through a um, China accelerator. Um, there were back then there were, of course, a lot about gaming in Beijing. So there is the Beijing, uh, I think it's called BGIN. So that's the Beijing uh, gaming community. Uh, so that happened too. Happy Latte, Happy Latte, where back in the days still exists. 
Well, I didn't. I wasn't fortunate to meet anyone who is now very, very big in China. But I know, but I know a lot of、uh, people from、uh, the scene. From that would be from SOS Ventures. That would be from、uh, people in Shenzhen.、Um, yeah, and they came to our meetings. Some of them came to our meetings. I was just going to ask, like, what were some of the issues that you know back then entrepreneurs or people were thinking about? Starting a company and becoming an entrepreneur, like what were some of the issues they faced back then? Some of the like, what were some of the common,、um, you know, problems or issues or you know, in terms of getting started and getting traction? So I, I saw people that are、uh, coming with a very very vague idea of what they want to do, and then there are suddenly entrepreneurs. That was how it was.、Um, Nothing、um, too substantial,、um, and they're working towards something. So it shows that they're they're living their dream and they're towards something. But it wasn't enough to really build a company. So a lot of people look for uh, different uh, for partners. So we had, for example, on 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 that、uh, meetup, we have we had a pitch so you can pitch to find your your co-founders or or things like that or what you're looking for.、Um, Another thing that people、uh, struggled with, and this was also mentioned in the meetup, is、uh, looking for the right、uh, employees. That was very, very hard to find. Retrospectively, thinking about it, even for our company, though I didn't perceive it this way、uh, back then, we're also really, really had a hard time finding the right people. We're in good shape right now, but that what this is what we had back then. I think that. By now, startups in—I、uh, can speak about Beijing, but I assume it's also in other、uh, large cities—are、um, talents are easier to find because there are more. There is more infrastructure and people willing to work more for startups、um, and that、uh, premise, and not、uh, necessarily for big companies. So I think it's relatively easier. On the other hand, the competition is is much larger now.、Mm-hmm. So. From your time,、uh, you know, following these entrepreneurs in China, working with entrepreneurs in China, you know,、uh, you also travel to a lot of other places in the world.、Um, wh- what are some of the lessons that you think that entrepreneurs in other parts of the world, whether it be in Southeast Asia or India, or、um, in more developed parts of the world like Europe or, or you know, where you're from in Israel or the U.S.,、um, wh- are there any lessons that you saw that that you think entrepreneurs can learn from the Chinese entrepreneurship community? So I actually think、um, this is where the, the world is going, but some places are not yet、um, using it properly. And this is um, um, hiring remotely. People don't. So I'll tell you what:、uh, in Israel, the, the startup scene and high tech scene is very, very developed. And when my wife was looking for a job there, and we said that we want her to work remotely, then there.、Um, Their condition is like no, you can't、uh, work remotely. But then you know, if you push a little, it's like yeah, we have you can work one day from home a week, something like that. It's like it's not a culture of you work remotely, you're flexible with your time. And I think that a lot of companies who can use that,、uh, not only for the happiness of their employees, but、uh, more of getting worldwide talent.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that companies now don't use this enough.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really tough thing, and I'd say especially yeah, in China,、tough. in China and Israel, I'd say that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. It, I think in China we're starting to see that take off a little bit more.、Um, we're seeing it with education, especially. You know, you look at companies like VIP Kid、uh, that have done a great job of getting you know、uh, English language education、uh, to. And really, really high quality teachers to kids that otherwise wouldn't be able to to access them.、Um, but yeah, I think it is.、Uh, it, it is. There's still a lot more that can be done in this space. But anyways, let's switch gears and talk a little bit more about what you're doing right now.、Um, so a lot of our listeners, right? It, I know I am James's as well.、Um, you know, we're focused on on investing, on on managing our finances, and trying to to pursue to use our finances to pursue a life that we are.、Um, That that is rewarding to us, and this is really what you what you you work with people、uh, about, right? Is that you focus on you know helping people el- eliminate money as a source of stress and kind of 
gain confidence in their finances. So can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so the way I see um, my finances and my clients' finances, uh, and hopefully others as well, um, is that it's really uh, accumulating or investing for the sake of investing itself is the wrong approach in my opinion. It would be uh, better to look at it as aligning your life goals with your financial goals. Um, you'd match those together and then be able uh, to reach those goals. I have a, a roadmap that uh, I developed exactly for this. And the way that it works is that part of the, the investing part or what you do with your money is only comes at the end. Before that, you have, you're going through a few stages. And the first one is obviously going through um, improving your financial knowledge. And these would not be um, crazy things. You, these would be a few basic terms and just, you know, so you'd speak the same language as everybody. And the second stage, which is what I just spoke about, is designing your lifestyle. And that's really, really important. So you're defining first where you want to go with your life. And then according to that, afterwards, you'll decide what you're going to invest in and in what. And, and for how long? Then the next two parts are actually the, the financial ones. These would be the controlling your numbers, so it will, will be knowing them, your net worth, it will be uh, your cash flow, and only, only, only at the end, when you're creating a plan, that will be, okay, what do I invest in and for what? Okay, where I'm heading. That's, that's how everything comes together. So, so this is my approach. It's not going to be just put on a stock and then hope to make mm -hmm. a profit. I mean, I hope to make a profit, of course. It's just that it has to come aligned with mm -hmm. something in my life. Okay. So, um, you know, investing in, in stocks, investing in equities, uh, is notoriously kind of uh, volatile, right? You can go be, you can be up twenty percent one day and down twenty percent the next, or even more. Um, I, I, it can be a roller coaster for some people. It can be something that you know, uh, if you're, not everyone has a stomach for it. Um, but if, if used appropriately, um, in your, in your portfolio, it, it can be, you know, profitable. Um, how do you advise your clients to think about stocks, equities, and particularly, um, you know, areas like we're looking into, you know, when it comes to tech stocks or, or emerging market tech stocks, tech stocks that are, are kind of notoriously up and down? So I, I go towards the approach of value investing and I would not go, into stocks for a short term. And if you're looking at uh, Western markets, um, and yes, it's tougher with, with Chinese markets, then you have enough statistics to show uh, that you can get 8 to 10% on average a year when you're investing in the stock market. So it's not about making a Around and you know a month, a week, or or even six months, it would be about I'd say at least five years, preferably ten or fifteen, and then you can really get those those uh get those ten percent on average. Now, yes, it is a roller coaster, but if I'm looking at that period of time, I don't care. It's like it, it's okay. So this is this is my approach uh, for that. So. Uh, how often do you check your accounts, and how often do you mess with your accounts? How often do you mess with them? What was the last one? How often do you mess with them? Like, so for me, there's a lot. Like, I like if I have certain ones that I'm following, I'm also tempted to like to be trading them more often, or you know, try to play a few games here, try to play a few games there. You know, take a risk here, take a risk there. You know, make a bet here. Uh, how often do you yourself? Look at them, and how often do you do you do you mess with them? So I look at them daily, or almost daily, but I don't mess with them at all. I mess with them depends. I mean, I'm following a few uh, people that are much better than me in value investment, and I've seen their track record, so I trust what they do. And then I do maybe one sell or buy every month or two. Not more than that, and then you can hold stocks for a few years, and they're just lying down there. Now, I still see those every day, and when it drops, I still, you know, I'm at the mindset of like it's a long term, it's okay, and things have been good since I started in 2000 and 
uh, I don't remember, three, four, five, something around that period. And indeed, things went down and things went up. But in general, they went up. So that's okay. Uh, 2018 was not a great year. 2017 was an okay year. 2016 was an amazing year. So that compensates for a lot of the downs. Yeah. Sorry, James, you had a question. Uh, yeah, I kind of wanted, I mean, I like, I like this, this idea or this kind of philosophy of thinking about before you get to your, what you're going to do with your capital or cash flow. Uh, thinking about what kind of what your life, what you know, what you want, what your goals are, you know, if you want to retire at a certain time, because that that kind of helps frame, you know, the whole picture. Because if you just like, oh, I'm just going to take you know some of my money and throw it into a few stocks, and I'm going to become rich, <laughs> you're going to be um, blindsided by volatility, and it's going to hurt. But if you're like, okay, I I you know, I'm going to live below my means, which means your expenses are lower than your income, and accumulate some savings, and then, you know, use some of that, put it into bonds or stocks or something like that. Um, I guess, you know, going back to that first question, you know, like what do you, you know, what do you want to do? What are your goals? Uh, what could you give an example of, you know, a client or what someone, um, you know, would say there? Okay, um, so I had a client coming for me for, the, the name of the brand is Free Financial Self, and he came to me, he's a Chinese uh, guy, he has a family, and when I went through the lifestyle that he expects for himself, he was supposed to make around half a million RMB a month to support the lifestyle that he hoped for. Wow. Um, and wow. then... It was like, okay. <laughs> and then through the process of working with him, first of all, uh, I let him understand the, 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 big, the big difference between needs and want. If you're looking at the end of the day, you don't need a lot to live on, okay? There's a lot of wants there. And then the question is, what you really want? Is this really important? Um, and I think that we dropped it down to about um, 80,000 a month which is still a lot, but it's like the, the gap is, is big. So it's something that may be achievable for him. Like he has his business and things like that. So he can look at that and then bridge that gap over time. But if the gap starts way up, <laughs> it's like, where do I start? So, so the process there really, 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 really helped him um, to really understand where he is and where he's going. That's the thing. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense. I mean, it's so easy to get tied up in, you know, all the, whatever the hot new thing is, and, you know, you want to get in the new car or the new thing, and, you know, and actually the, the value add to consuming more is, is uh, diminishes, right? That's kind of what, you know, you don't get like just accumulating more and more stuff doesn't necessarily make people happy. You know, maybe accumulating experiences can, you know, you, something to remember and kind of look back on. But if you buy something, I mean, it depreciates, you know, it breaks down, you have to replace it. I mean, I, I've always, I've been kind of uh, buying stocks since I was a, a teenager. And, you know, I always, the one thing I like about stocks is, you know, it's, it is an ownership of a business kind of like a, you know, take a value investor perspective. And it's, you know, if the business is, decent, not all are, you know, some do, they do change, but it's, you know, it's, it's a ownership, right. Of a future cash flows of, of a business. It's not, it's not bad um, compared to other ways to spend your money. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I'm not looking only at stocks though. Um, I don't think that um, we should only look at, at stocks. I think we should diversify on other things too. I mean, um, I, diversify, I, diver, I diversify. You can see this on on my uh, monthly uh, net worth report. You can you can see that I'm I'm on P 2 P. I'm on real estate. I'm on on stocks, of course. And each one of those gives me the diversification that I need. And also those ups and downs that you spoke about. Not all your 
net worth should all go up, all go down. I mean, and, and each one of them is, is together, has together. a different purpose. Yeah. So I guess what about bonds like uh, you know, sovereign bonds or corporate bonds? Will you, will you look at those? No, I don't, I don't do those. I don't do those. Um, the more... Uh, it, it, I look at bonds as, you know, as, as the, the cash flow that's supposed to come on time. And instead of that, I'm looking at P2Ps, so it gives the same thing for me at, at a higher ROI. So I prefer those. Are there any peer-to-peer uh, platforms you prefer? Are these in China or outside China? They're outside China. They're outside China. Actually, I haven't. Uh, I started not too long ago. That would be less than six months. So for now, um, I'm looking. At, for now, I'm investing only through one platform called Investio. Um, that's in Europe, and they have very good returns. But I'm considering going into more. It's just that um, I'm now also looking into real estate. So I'm 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 putting that money into real estate. But probably the next lumps would go prob- back to P2P also. But probably other platforms because again, it's really important for me to diversify even between the platforms, not only between projects in a platform. You you I mean I, we don't want to keep it too much longer. Um, but you mentioned about basically you know the whole point here is is helping people prioritize. In life, right? To know, okay, how much how much money do you need to make to beat your goals, and and what do you spend your money on? So for you, Shlomo, what are your priorities? <laughs> I'm actually I'm on my way for financial to financial freedom, uh, but I'm living my life the way I really want to be. I'm now speaking with you from Sri Lanka. We just moved here for a three months vacation. Um, so every year we go for a few months to. Uh, uh, work and live somewhere with our daughter. Um, So these are my priorities. These are the things I like to do to experience other cultures and other places. Um, But we we have a base in Israel. uh, So we stay there uh, most of the time. We live there in a yurt. So that's very, uh, um, uh, it's like a light building and very modest, but still very nice. So that's our lifestyle. This is our priority and it works. Well, you seem like a you seem like a poster child for um, you know the the whole uh, well, for what you're selling, which is um, you know helping people you know pursue those dreams and, and live life the way that they want to live. Um, so if people want to follow you, they want to learn more about what you're doing. Maybe they want some help in uh, in achieving financial freedom. Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So um, I uh, because we spoke earlier, I prepared uh, a gift for the listeners. So. I have a net worth tool that I use every month. This is how I follow. You can see those on, on my uh, reports. This is how I follow my financial progress. Um, and you can do that too if you go to uh, freefinancialself.com slash China Tech Investor. Um, you'll go there. You can download that uh, uh, net worth spreadsheet. And this will really, really give you the first step towards getting to your life goals and align them with your financial goals. Okay, awesome. All right. Can, can they follow you on LinkedIn or Twitter or anything like that? Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, LinkedIn is my name, um, so you'll have this, I assume, on the, on the, the show post. Notes. Yeah. Um, you can go on, yeah, on the show notes. Um, Instagram is Free Financial Self. Um, Twitter is Free Financial SF, Shlomo Freund. Facebook, I have a page there that's also Free Financial Self, so you can find that there. And the link again that I uh, told you about, that's freefinancialself.com slash China Tech Investor. These are the awesome. best places. Awesome. Well, thank you, so much. thank you so much for joining us today, Shlomo. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank, thank, you, thank, you, thank you for inviting. Cheers. Well, that just about does it for us today. Thanks very much to Shlomo Freund for joining us. Um, also, make sure that you go to techno.com slash newsletter. For your daily dose of China tech. Um, also, you can follow us on Twitter at Elliot Zagman, E L L I O T T, and E L L I O T T Z A A G M A N, and uh, James Hall X, J A M E S H U L L X. And also, please just support the podcast. We would love it if you could go on iTunes and give us five stars, give us a positive comment. Um, that kind of stuff really, really helps. Um, but, anyways, uh, before we wrap up, James, are you looking uh, looking at anything over the next week? First, I want to know what your T-shirt says. My T-shirt says "Blog Boy." It says it does say "Blog Boy." Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Where did where did you get that? Well, I got it for Christmas so, from my significant other, and um, she because she also she um she 
she often makes fun of me and uh, and lightly complains about um, uh, my my snarky Twitter persona. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so she got me this shirt. It's <laughs> amazing. Okay, yeah. um, I love it. Uh, so what I'm looking forward to, um, Alibaba is announcing Q3 2019, which is their December 31st quarter. Um, next week on January 30th, and that's 8.30 p.m. Beijing time, 7.30 a.m. U.S. Eastern time. We'll get to see how much of a slowdown there was in Q that quarter, and then also how uh, Shuangshi or Double Eleven, the, uh, how, how their sales did. And yeah, should be interesting. Get a clearer picture aside from just the big numbers that they flash at those yeah. events. Um, what I'm looking at is I've heard last week, uh, we're, there were some rumors about, uh, a potential IPO for Luckin Coffee. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, or who are, who are not, you know, paying close attention to China, China's tech ecosystem, Luckin Coffee is like a, it's like a competitor to Star. It's a Chinese competitor to Starbucks. It's cheaper. It uses like all uh, online payment and, you know, it kind of focuses on delivery more than that kind of in-store experience. James, do you like their coffee? Uh, so I tried it. I got like, had luck they had a thing in my elevator. If I scanned a QR code, uh, I could get a free coffee and a free thing for food for free. The whole thing was free. And, uh, and I, I tried it and it was the coffee was um you know not great and the food was even worse. The food was really bad. Uh, but I'm that was that was quite a while ago. I haven't tried it since. Uh there is a an actual offline looking coffee around the corner for me. I haven't been there yet because Starbucks and Costa Coffee are a little closer, but yeah, I probably should go check it out and see if their coffee's improved. I, I it probably has, I, I I'd guess, but yeah, they they are the most one of the most universally reviled uh, startups among at least the foreign community in China. Like everyone, like talks about how much they hate them, and they're, they 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 talk about how awful the, the coffee is, or they talk about um, you know how it's going to be the next uh, Ofo and 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 you know collapse. Um, I'm a little more optimistic um i have had their coffee it's not that bad um and they can improve all that stuff also they're they need a lower there needs to be a a, a lower cost competitor to starbucks i mean like starbucks like not everyone can spend five dollars on a cup of coffee it is expensive um yeah. nor should they have to because uh, that's not how much coffee costs so i think that like the fundamentals of that business are okay if they can manage it well so uh i'll be looking out for that um Anything else, James, before we let go? Um, I think that's all. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks, as always, to our producer extraordinaire, John Artman. And we'll see you next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye.